But because we were largely a team of working moms, we had, depending upon the mom, between one and four children climbing on us at the time. So <laughs> it, it was definitely, you know, it was definitely a challenge. This is Boss Ladies. So on today's episode of Boss Ladies, I am joined by Natalie McDonald. She is the founder of Create NYC, which is a 27 plus million annual revenue generating company, a global healthcare agency that serves the highly regulated pharmaceutical industry. And she is truly incredible. Such a boss lady talks about her career journey. We go into company culture and why it's so important and how you can get that right. We talk about management, what makes a good manager. We talk about an experience I've had with a bad manager. We also talk about feedback, how to get and give feedback, which is so important and so crucial for everyone's success, especially future boss ladies. Make sure you're asking for feedback. Make sure you're getting that feedback from your manager. And yeah, I'm so excited to share this episode with you. So with that, I'm going to welcome Natalie. But quickly, before I do... Check out my sweatshirt because it is in honor of RBG, but it is also in honor of Katanji because today Katanji has been officially confirmed for the Supreme Court. And, you know, as RBG says, we need to wait until there are nine, but it's still a huge moment in history and just so, so exciting and just at least gives me faith that there's going to be more equal representation, or sorry, I should say there's going to be more representation and hopefully a step closer to equal representation on the Supreme Court, which at the end of the day is making the decisions that are going to impact all of our lives. So huge day in history. And, you know, I don't know when this podcast episode is going to come out, but I just am am so excited for, for our future because of this decision. And hopefully it's the first of many like it. And like I said, cheers to uh, both Katanji and to the amazing late RBG and for all that they have done and are going to do and are doing for women and for people of color and for equal representation and decisions that promote equality. So again, with that, I welcome Natalie McDonald. Hello, I am here with Natalie McDonald. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Boss Ladies. Thank you, Olivia. Really excited to be here. Thanks. And in honor of Katanji Brown-Jackson getting confirmed into the Supreme Court, um, I wanted to wear my RBG sweatshirt, my super diva sweatshirt, just because yay for more women in the Supreme Court. (laughs) Great day. Um, So why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself and sort of what led you to founding Create NYC? Yeah. So um, let's take it back early, early days. Um, Early on in my career, I leveraged my Um, undergraduate degrees in uh, business and chemistry to join the healthcare industry. Like a lot of people starting out, I um, I joined the industry as a pharmaceutical rep uh, working for Pfizer. And it was uh, an incredible experience where I learned the ins and outs of a a very complicated industry um, right from day one. I had the chance to sell between 10 and 12 different pharmaceutical brands including some of our generation's biggest blockbusters um, like Viagra. 
while sales may be for some people, I definitely figured out early on it was not for me. And so I worked uh, on my MBA and I transitioned into Pfizer's marketing team where I had uh, a tremendous opportunity to work across several different uh, major blockbuster products, including Lipitor, and learned firsthand um, lots of big lessons and, and developed lots of skills, including um, how to manage a P&L, how to create an operating plan, how to work best with agency partners, and really, really enjoyed my time there. But I did something completely unconventional. I quit a perfectly good job. <laughs> uh, and I went to work for the, dare I say it, the advertising agency um, that supported the, um, the healthcare companies. So I spent a couple of years working at Sachi and Sachi Healthcare, had a incredible opportunity to see behind the curtain, so to speak, and learned uh, what really happens back there in order to create the advertising for healthcare brands, made a lot of friends, developed a lot more um, skills and learned, uh, learned, learned a lot of firsthand experiences, which led me to combining both my corporate and my agency side perspective to identifying an unmet need in healthcare and um, ultimately led me to founding Create NYC, which we'll talk about today. You know, I feel like it's a very trendy time to say you worked at Pfizer, right? It's like kind of the coolest thing you could say right now. Yeah, it it really, um, you know, since Viagra days, they've never been hotter. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely want to talk to you about Create NYC and about starting a company. Um, you know, where does that drive come from and, and how did you know it was the right time to do so for you? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, um, it, it came really um, naturally. I didn't set out to start a company. I certainly didn't set out to start a company that would, um, I never could have imagined that would grow as big as it is today, um, nearly 30 million in sales. Uh, but ultimately, I think, you know, reflecting and looking back, what I, what I would share is that as you start out in your career, you develop um, a lot of skills, you have a ton of experiences, and my, um, my sort of entrepreneur days came well into my career, where I was able to leverage those insights, experiences, and skills, um, and have a deeper understanding of the unmet needs in healthcare advertising to come to or arrive at the concept of the agency. And really, Create NYC's um, driving idea was to, and is today still, to um, deliver efficient advertising in the healthcare industry via a new model. Um, it's it's a industry that has a very traditional blended hourly rate model that has been the same really um, since, I don't know, the 70s or the 80s. And so mm -hmm. my concept came really based on my experience. So when you were building out your initial team, you know, what was important to you when trying to create your company's culture? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as a, as a founder or a group of founders, you, you might and instantly and instinctively think that the most important thing is the idea. If I have a great idea, my, my company is going to do well, it's going to make a lot of money and we're going to ride off into the sunset. Um, that couldn't be I farther. Wish it was that. Yeah. I was going to say, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> yeah. That couldn't be farther from the truth. I think, you know, starting a company requires obviously more than an idea, but one of my biggest lessons early on was that it's a team that aligns around the idea and a group that's strongly motivated by the same set of values. 
um, what I found is that I really struck a chord when I started Create NYC because of some of the things that I was looking for in a career, um, working more um, efficiently, for example, um, working with more accountability um, in terms of my own success. Um, I also, in 2009, when we founded Create, uh, set, set a path where we worked remotely from day one, even though we had an office. And so we really put together a group of values that help to define us and really help to, I think, motivate us and propel us to the success we had. So, you know, it's, it's that culture, I think, that really from day one helped us drive, um, you know, the growth and the momentum that the agency had. So when you're creating those company values, like how do you set success metrics for people and for teams to hit those? Um, and then after that, I want to ask you a little bit about how those play a factor into hiring. Yeah, I I think um, everybody, right, has all companies. If, if you're any company, you know, of any sort, you're going to have a vision, you're going to have a mission, you're going to have a, a list of values. Um, Oftentimes, they're just um, that. They're just a list. They're not embedded into the day-to-day of the company. And so I, I think what was different about our, um, our company culture and is today is that we, we reflected those values in everything that we did. So when we, for example, would set out our business goals, we would ensure that those values were reflected. And at the end of every quarter, we'd gather the whole agency together and we'd present our results. We'd give awards based on who was most passionate. We'd give rewards on who was relentless that quarter. So we um, we not only set goals, but we also rewarded um, the staff for them. And so it wasn't just, you know, the, the company quarterly results. We have annual offsites. We would have um, we would have business updates where there was a tremendous amount of transparency and everything that we did was really baked around our company uh, values. And so how did you then take those values and, you know, when hiring new folks onto your teams, really like ensure that, you know, their values were aligned with the values that you've created for the company? Yeah. So I'm not going to lie, you know, er- early on, we we definitely had a steep learning curve. You know, when you go to hire someone and um, you, you meet them, uh, you're looking at your resume most commonly, right? And mm-hmm. when you look at someone's resume, it's it's really hard to contextualize what it is they want in their career, what it is that makes them tick at work. Sure, you can see their degrees, you can see where they just, you know, had been and where they've worked over the years. Um, so what we did is um, really integrate into our interviewing process a um, kind of a, a, a deep dive into our culture. We wanted to do two things. First, we wanted to ensure that we defined who we were as a company, who we were as a, as a team, an all-women leadership team, and what was important to us. So we had something that was a bit corny at first, and then it just turned into who we were, where we would give um, what we called our core values speech um, in every single final interview to all candidates. And to this day, that still happens. It's about a 10-minute long thing where we describe, we kind of do round robin, there are six values. We describe each one of those, what it means to us. And, and the goal is at the end of that to ensure that 
the person interviewing can either see themselves at a place mm -hmm. that really likes passion, values, reputation, is relentless, accountable, efficiency, things like that, or they don't. We really wanted people to opt in or opt out. We didn't want anyone to be surprised when they got there. And then really the second opportunity in the interview process was for the candidate not just to describe what's on paper on the resume, but to tell us about themselves. We don't have just a work self. We have a personal self as well. So what's important to you? How do you, you know, how do you want to come to work every day? And what do you value in life? So it was a really um, good lesson to learn early on. And I think one that has really served us well. So I went to a conference, I think it was in 2020. And maybe I'd heard this before, but this was the first time I like it you know, stuck. Um, and it was like a conference for women in media, finance and tech. And they were talking about the concept of like culture ad over culture fit, um, which is now something I think about a lot, right? Like how do we train ourselves to look for people that are different to us rather than just hiring more people like us? Um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and how, 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 yeah, how do we train ourselves, I guess, to look for people that are different to us because they're going to further those values or the mission of the company as opposed to doing what we've always known, which is just, oh, this person fits and they're similar to me, therefore I hire them. Yeah. I I think, you know, we've thought about it always in a few different ways. So there's a there's a sort of a, a value fit, so to mm -hmm. speak, meaning um, that's inherent kind of in people. They they are either the type of person that would thrive and needs to work in an office all the time. If it's that person, then this agency is not for you because most people work at home, they're stay at home mm -hmm. moms and, and they, they love it. So I think there's kind of the value fit, but then there's also the skill fit. And that's really where um, you're right. If, if you hire every single uh, person with the same set of skills and don't vary and sort of go off of that, uh, your company is 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 not going to be nearly as successful as it could be. So we um, we we would regularly ensure that um, first when we were hiring people that we were hiring a range of strengths and we used mm -hmm. a few different tools to assess actually even in the interview process um, what people naturally cognitively tend to um, tend to prefer and learn and also what their strengths are from a mm -hmm. um, a strength finder perspective. Uh, the other thing that we did probably a whole lot more than any other agency that I know, and it maybe comes from my corporate culture at Pfizer in my Pfizer days, is that everybody at the agency, no matter your level, mm -hmm. um, had a business plan. So each year you would create personal development goals, professional development goals, and it didn't matter what skills you necessarily started with. You had the opportunity to um, participate in training, have mentors, uh, to go out and learn new skills. And we've had a lot of people jump functions. Um, in fact, some people jumping multiple functions. And I think mm -hmm. that is another way to help ensure that people um, are not just all the same. They don't just come with the same skills and stay the mm -hmm. same over time, but you have the opportunity to, to thrive. I think that's awesome. And you know, you and I chatted a little bit before this interview, um, and you had talked to me about sort of creating a team first mentality rather than focusing on our individual contributions. So 
how, how do we do that? And is it hard when employees are sort of taught that your individual contrib- contributions are more linked to like a promotion or to a raise? How do we sort of get in that team first mentality and why is that so important? Yeah. I think of it in, in maybe two ways. You know, first there's the the sort of company overall success and and sort of the ability to achieve goals. If everybody's independently in a silo, um, you have a much lower likelihood of accomplishing your goals. What we found is that people are much more likely to be engaged. And once they're engaged, they're a lot more productive and a lot more excited and motivated and passionate about their work if the company is transparent. And so Mm -hmm. from day one, we shared every single quarter, if not more regularly, the good, bad, and the ugly. Where do we stand um, against our revenue goals? Where do we stand against our infrastructure goals, hiring? by sharing transparently um, what is happening, including within different teams and allowing them to showcase successes, to talk about challenges, we found that it really helped the team gel and pull us all together so that we were supporting one another. It wasn't um, competitive at the individual level um, and people were really um, excited to see the company overall doing well. I think the other perspective is, you know, if you're focused on the individual level from a personal perspective, especially if you think about something like the pandemic that we've just lived through, it's very isolating, especially if you work at home, which we have since 2009. It's really um, it's really hard to thrive if you're isolated at home, you don't have a sense of team. And so we, we found that, um, especially, you know, beginning in March 2020, that it was really, really important to find opportunities. We have something called the Culture Committee, where we would get together. I mean, there were exercise classes every week. We had game shows. We were sending each other stuff in the mail, making videos and circulating them. If you're part of kind of that team atmosphere and and supporting and respecting each other in that way, it too makes for a happier um, team at work, which ultimately then drives our success. I think that's awesome and and very cool that you were able to figure that out before obviously a global pandemic hit that kind of put everyone else back home where they weren't used to, you know, figuring out how to be a team and how to work remotely, right? It was learning as we went and a lot of chaos and confusion. And, you know, obviously for all of us, there was a lot of uncertainty about, you know, when things would go back to normal. I love the idea of sending each other things in the mail. That's so creative and, and sounds incredible. What kind of things would you guys send each other? Well, you know, it's funny, you say we were ahead of our curve, which no doubt we were like, we didn't have to hook up zoom Our our Mm -hmm. everything was in the cloud. It was it was, you know, we didn't skip a beat. But because we were largely a team of working moms, um, we had, depending upon the mom, between one and four children climbing on us at the time. So <laughs> it it was definitely, you know, it was definitely a challenge. Um, so, you know, I'll just think back to our early days of the pandemic, um, you know, some of the things that we did, which seemed um small at the time, but were really appreciated, um, you know, come to find out is we sent everybody 
um, a mask for their whole family. Mm -hmm. So there was a care package, you know, that arrived before we even knew that we were going to have to wear masks forever. So we did that. And then, and then there was kind of a grocery shortage. And so then we, we sent around um, a stipend for groceries, whether, you know, you needed your, you know, toilet paper delivered, or you, you needed to kind of figure out that thing. So it, it really depends on the time um, and, and, you know, what's happening. But I think there's always small ways that you can um, show your staff how important they are and how much you actually care. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's amazing. And you told me, I think you have what, a 95% retention rate, right? So how do you think all of this and the culture and the values sort of play a, a role into that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's finding a fit first and foremost. Mm-hmm. If you if you value not only what you do for your role, but if you if you value what the company stands for, what your manager kind of day in and day out is is um, advocating, then you're you're more likely to be engaged and want to stay. I think on top of that, if you're set up for success in terms of, you know, um, obviously a competitive compensation, if you have training, if you have opportunities to progress in your career, um, all of those things make a difference. Now, you know, were we perfect in every which way? No, the great resignation, I'm sure, has affected us all. Mm-hmm. But I think you're you're more likely to succeed if you think about the the employee as a whole and not just did they come to work on time? Did they leave on time? Great. And, and that's all there is to it. I think another important part of this is something, you know, again, you and I had talked about, which is management. So how, what makes a good manager and, and how is that super critical to keeping people happy at work? Yeah, it's, it's something I'm really passionate about. I think, you know, beyond overall fit with your goals and intentions, obviously you're going to pick an industry, you're going to pick a company that, that you really like. My best advice to anybody is to also pay really close attention to who you pick as your manager. It might mm-hmm. seem like your manager is interviewing you, but don't ever forget that you are also choosing them as you go on an interview for a job. Because in my experience, they're going to be the person that has the greatest influence over your success at that company and your career at that moment um, while you're there. So think about it. They have the power to um, help you find training. They have the power to coach you. They have the power to advocate for you on behalf of the team or the business unit that you're in. Um, they have the power to empower you um, within the organization. And they have the, um, you know, in the absence of that, you have basically that big void there if you mm-hmm. if you have a manager that doesn't have those things. So I think it can be really difficult to navigate success in the path to your goals without a really um, strong manager. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on managing your manager? Like, do you have any suggestions on how to manage up? I know that comes up a lot is like, you know, obviously you were talking about how to make a good manager, but let's say you end up having a manager that you don't necessarily like or always agree with, like, how does it work both ways? Yeah. Um, you know, let's assume that all managers have good intentions, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think the um, the range that we're probably talking about is how much initiative and how much um, effort managers put in. 
if you have a manager that is, um, let's just say, a bit hands off or is not as proactive, I think you still have a, a real opportunity to um, to take matters into your own hands to initiate. So mm-hmm. I always encourage people to advocate for themselves. If there is a career path that you want to be on, advocating and asking your manager the steps, the training, mm-hmm. um, their advice, if they're not into it recommendations for mentors at the organization or outside of the organization that can support you. I think it's it's really important to not check out in the instance mm-hmm. where you have a manager that may not be as proactive as you'd like. The other thing I always think about is we have the power within a role regardless of if it's, you know, an entry level role or the CEO role to always be learning and to work hard. Working hard doesn't mean working longer hours. Mm -hmm. It means adding value. So if you're in a role and you are interested in progressing in one way or another, by learning and adding value, your manager is going to really have a hard time ignoring that and not supporting Mm -hmm. you to get to the next level. So I, I think advocating for yourself and figuring out ways to add value really goes a long way. Yeah. And I think also, you know, remembering that like in advocating for yourself, things can get better. Cause like I've had, like I had a micromanager once and oh my God, it was the bane of my existence. Like all I ever want to do and and I'm very lucky I have a great manager right now, but you know, all I ever want to do is kind of be like left alone until I'm either a clearly falling off the path and need help and someone to jump in or B when I go to my manager, which because I'm given the space and freedom to figure some things out on my own, I know that I can go to that person anytime I want. But, you know, when you have a micromanager, you kind of start to lose that drive and inspiration. And I've definitely seen that firsthand where they're just going to tell me what to do anyway. So why am I going to want to be proactive about trying to do that? Right. Um, And so I, I like what you're saying about advocating for yourself, because it sounds like by doing so, maybe you can switch managers or maybe you can find a better way to work with your manager or say to your manager, Hey, this doesn't work. And I know early on in my career, like I definitely didn't know that that was an option to be like, Hey, can we talk about how this might work better for both of us? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a good point to be honest. Um, redirection can help a lot. And I know it feels, especially in junior roles, it feels like an impossibility, but try it once or twice. And trust me, it really does help. In fact, if you, you know, you can even approach things to say, um, thank you for your feedback on this and this. I think I've got that, but really where I'd love to have your input and advice is on this, this, or this. And, and I think oftentimes it's, it's the manager that just wants to help or needs to talk or Mm -hmm. wants to get in there. And if you can kind of pivot them and redirect them, uh, it can still work to your advantage. You know, you just use the word feedback and it it makes me want to ask you about like, how can we best receive feedback? Because that is something at least like I know that I personally struggle with sometimes. And it's so important, obviously, to helping us grow and get to those next stages. So what are your thoughts on, on how to receive feedback. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I might even expand that to say, you know, how to give and then also how to receive feedback. I, I think it's, um, it's actually something that we don't do nearly enough of, um, Mm -hmm. give feedback. And so, you know, 
giving feedback always sounds or can sound critical. It can sound very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, What we have made um, sort of a habit of doing at the agency is that we talk about, um, we talk about it in, in sort of a, a, a positive and a, and a negative sort of way. We say, um, what should, what should I be doing more of and what, what can I be doing? Um, what should I be doing less of? Meaning what's working and what's not working. And when you put it through that filter, it actually is not personal. You can talk about anything. You can say, well, working from home is really working for me because I can make dinner for my family or whatever. And what's not working is, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm getting different direction for multiple different people. It's not personal. You're just telling for yourself what's not working. Mm -hmm. And so I think you can use that same filter when you receive feedback. Try not to take it personally and Mm -hmm. keep in mind that regardless of who's giving it, how skilled they are at it, ultimately what you want to internalize is, okay, what can I take from this to improve upon? And what can I take Mm -hmm. from this to stop doing. So what's working and what's not working is kind of how we think about it from a, from a a lens. Yeah. And so I like a while ago had interviewed, um, Dr. Susan Fleming and in her interview, she, she has her PhD or she went to get her PhD studying why there aren't more women in leadership positions. And she talks about how critical it is that we make sure we give women feedback because oftentimes people can be a little bit more hesitant when giving women feedback because they don't Mm. want to hurt their feelings or they get worried that there's going to be like an emotional response of some sort. Um, So I like you talking about sort of like how to give that feedback because I think it's important that we make sure we're constantly doing that, you know, regardless of gender, but to everyone equally. I think the other thing that um, we might not think of, and it's really important is to not procrastinate, give feedback day of, there was a presentation, Mm -hmm. something went wrong, something went great, give feedback the day of, it doesn't have to be long and drawn out, it doesn't have to be typed up, hey, you did a really good job on this, let me tell you what I liked about it, what the impact was, or hey, you might have felt like this didn't go well, let me give you some feedback, here's what, here's what was good, and here's how you could improve that moving ahead, and so not delaying really helps because you kind of hold it up and then you can distort it. And then when it ultimately comes out, it's not maybe as, as helpful as it could be. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that's, that's so smart and so great to just make sure you're constantly doing that. And then also, you know, again, adding to what makes a good manager is just making sure that you're constantly thinking of feedback that you can give to help everyone on your team grow. Yeah. My last question for you. Is what is, what do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments? Yeah, it's a good question, Olivia. Um, (laughs) You know, I think back on, on, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've done in my career and I I would say I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have built an agency from scratch without um, any outside investors. Um, It is a widely recognized agency. It is fast growing. But I think my greatest accomplishment, the the thing that really um, makes me the happiest in my, in my professional career was building the team that I built, which includes um, an all-female leadership team that to Love this that. day is still there, still completely intact and running the agency. And not just the team and the all-female leadership team, but ultimately the infrastructure 
that helps to ensure that the company has the structure to move ahead and to be successful and to carry on, you know, the, the, a lot of the stuff that we talked about relative to culture and hiring Mm. and motivating and so on. So that's really, I think my biggest accomplishment and my, my proudest moment, um, at the end of the day. That is incredible. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on boss ladies. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Mm-hmm.